0: Cantillon, in Buenos Aires, from the Department of Services. I was always interested in the future, muttered the man wrapped in a blanket seated in the back of a skiff. He dipped his hand in the muddy green water and let his fingers trail in the flow, so that they wobbled slightly. He watched them, as a child might. I just didn't expect it to be quite as... He looked up at the grey sky. He pushed his battered cocked hat backwards, so that the rain beat Straight into his eyes The rower shipped her oars And allowed the boat to come to rest On the muddy bank Before them Beyond the tidal fringe Of seaweed and long grass Rose the battlements of a castle Built of rosy stone Further on The whitewashed houses Of a seaport From somewhere deep within the town A plume of black smoke rose into the sky, undiminished by the rainfall. "'Welcome to Buenos Aires!' shouted the oarswoman, as she skipped over the bow, splashed into the mud, and secured the craft to a bollard. "'Fuck me sideways with a flamingo,' muttered the man in the blanket, casting a reproachful glance back at the sullen old hulk that lay hippopotamus-like, in the turbid waters of the Rio Plata, almost as if it was at home. And fuck that ponderous old galleon, the Consolidator. The rower extended a hand towards her passenger, and with well-balanced strength she managed to propel him over the worst of the mud. Thank you. "'said the passenger, straightening his pink and white striped blanket, "'shoving a hand into his breeches and producing a coin. "'It's French,' he said, handing it to the boatwoman, "'casting a jaundiced eye around the other ships moored in the bay. "'You don't have much new stuff here. "'I think I think that one's a Frenchy though. "'You'll no doubt find someone who will accept this here.' "'Thank you,' said the pilot.' "'pocketing the coin and marching so quickly towards the tide-line "'that the visitor had to run to keep up. "'It's quiet at the moment,' she added. "'The navy is upstream.' "'I have papers,' said the visitor, "'revealing a leather bag tucked under his right arm. "'I can account myself and in due course start afresh "'and make a contribution.' "'The pilot stopped. "'The wide brim of her black hat "'amplified the sound of the big warm drops of rain.' You'll have to do better than that, she said. I never met anyone who didn't at least try to account for themselves, start afresh and make contributions. The pilot and the newcomer continued towards the castle wall. When they reached it, they followed a track that led around the corner and out of sight. I don't suppose... "'said the man as he dried his curly grey hair "'with the corner of his blanket. "'You'd believe it possible.' "'He stood with his back to the fire, "'dressed from head to toe, "'in clean white underclothes. "'Maria shook her head "'as she lay out a fresh jacket, "'breeches, even shoes. "'For me, that is, "'to make it through the enemy line, "'or rather all those lines of enemies.' Maria left the room and, after picking up her basket of washing, she closed the door on the house and hurried across the courtyard to her own dwelling, where her daughter, the pilot, was reading a book. It was a large one, bound in leather, written in Castilian-Spanish and printed in an elaborate Baroque font. The pilot wasn't wearing her hat any more. Her straight black hair was tied in a bun and she drank mate from a pewter mug which she'd positioned rather precariously so that its base overhung the edge of the table. The crazy man is still raving, said Maria's mother, dumping a basket on the stone floor. The pilot didn't acknowledge her mother. She enjoyed reading Don Quixote, although she knew the stories very well. The way that they transported her to a land she'd never visited surprised her time and time again. She felt that she could smell the hot earth of La Mancha rather than the smoke from the fire at the cathedral. How he was overtaken by pirates, how he was once the richest man in the world, how the man in the moon guided him to our shores. The pilot, who was sitting in a solid-backed wooden chair with her bootless feet stretching out on a milking stool, looked up from her text. "'What did you say?' she asked. "'The man in the moon,' said her mother, blowing on the embers of the fire. "'He talks about the moon as if it's populated.' The pilot smiled. "'Crazy fellow,' she said. "'I'll ask Basavilbaso if he can help.' Maria snorted as she poured water into the cauldron, hanging from the hook above the restored flame. An idiot for a madman. You're right, I'm sure they'll get on well. The pilot pretended to return to her text, but instead of reading the words, her dark eyes followed her mother as she scuttled around the room, chopping vegetables at the table "'throwing laurel leaves into the pot, "'wiping her portly little fingers on her grey apron, "'pushing her hair back with her forearms. "'He pays you well,' she said after a time. "'Like all sailors,' said Maria, "'he'll run out of cash, "'and then this one will probably get himself killed.' "'The pilot returned to her book "'as four troopers from the Civil Guard "'hurried past the open window.' "'Shouldn't you go and help?' asked Maria. Huh. Man's work,' said the pilot. "'The priests will be biting their nails in the centre of the plaza. "'The friars will be praying in the corner. "'The bishop will be issuing instructions, "'and everybody else will be trying to find buckets. "'I've already sent our buckets. "'They got too many buckets. "'The well up there is almost dry, luckily for us. "'There's a storm brewing.' and the rain will intensify. The fire will be out before sundown. We will still have something in the way of a cathedral to play with tomorrow. The pilot closed the book, stood, and placed it on the chair she'd been sitting on. Where are you going? asked Maria. Out, said the pilot, leaning on the door frame as she pulled her boots on. The man perhaps on account of his extensive period at sea, was hungry-looking, but not emaciated. His brown breeches weren't bursting at the waistline, his used but clean corn-coloured jacket hung efficiently on his shoulders, and his cocked hat, if a little battered, gave him the air of a jaunty traveller, which, to some extent, he was... After all, he had landed. During the past months, there had been several occasions when he'd felt that the game was finally up. Although the scene he encountered was dramatic, within his own interior, if he'd thought to ask himself a question regarding the state of his psychology, he would have confessed to a kind of inner calm, elation, rhapsody even notwithstanding the chaos in front of his eyes and the smell of tarry burning wood in his nose. He watched as a few men deposited water from buckets on the embers littering the north side of the cathedral. Around him the crowds in the square were dissipating as the grey skies darkened and the rainfall intensified. Eventually the visitor was forced to take shelter under an awning. There he encountered a young priest, soaked to the skin, shouting at men with buckets on the roof. He seemed to be in control of the situation. "'It's not normally this bad,' said the priest. "'You recognise a stranger,' he said. "'I know my flock,' said the priest, wiping his grimy face on the cuff of his cassock. "'I want to make a confession,' said the visitor.' You can't, said the priest. The cathedral's on fire. The stranger looked at the building. Most of it was still intact. Smoke was still billowing from beneath the slates on the northwest corner, and globules of molten lead hissed as they smashed and solidified on the paving stones around him, forming strange metallic fish scales. The echoing void within was full of smoke and clerics. It reverberated with the uncoordinated crunching and scraping of valuables as they were moved away from the affected area. The visitor pulled his hat off and hurried inside, where he soon realised that the chief object of concern was not the silverware, the relics, the paintings, or the books they were transferring from the library. It was the roof. In the name of the Father... "'and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. "'My last confession was... "'The visitor's eyes flashed upwards. "'Through the gaps in the top of the confessional box, "'he could see through the remnants of the partially destroyed roof, "'the moon shining down from a bright, cloudless sky. "'Was it a year, two, three? "'Surely not four. "'Several years ago,' he said, with an embarrassed cough I'd been living in an Anglican country for my sins the priest whispered to him could you hurry up I'm, uh, I'm composing my thoughts it's just that I'm not convinced it's safe in here and it's three in the morning and I know who you are that's not possible said the visitor you have no idea who i am you're handy with scaffolding buckets and structural elements i'm irish people do say that a basic knowledge of the building profession comes with matriculation to adulthood you have no idea who you're talking to and even less what my problem is. Can't you come back tomorrow? No, no, I can't, hissed the stranger. I've got something serious to tell you, and, and it's been on my mind for a considerable amount of time. It's curtailing my capacities. A few years, judging from your recollection of your last confession, I'm calling this off your invaluable help up there on the roof. You undoubtedly saved the main body of the knave from collapse, and that could have brought the whole thing down. Crushing your parishioners like ants. The priest drew a small curtain across the grill, separating him from the visitor, and stepped out of the confessional box and into the moonlit smoking church. The stranger joined him. His face was red. There was fire in his eyes, I killed someone! he shouted. His voice echoed through the blackened arches above. The figure of Christ looked down upon them from behind the pulpit. A cloud passed before the moon, causing the Saviour's face to darken. The priest crossed himself. Not so loud! he whispered as he climbed back into the box. The curtain opened. Who? asked the priest. "'Myself,' said the visitor. There was a pause. "'Really?' asked the priest. "'I did,' said the man. "'Does that make you a ghost, a spirit, a devil?' asked the priest. "'Is that why we must speak as a matter of urgency?' It is a matter of utmost urgency because I have only just arrived in this town and I don't want to carry the load of unexamined folly into the next chapter of my life. I can only tell you the truth if you promise to hear the full story and to listen to my confession. We are all equal in the eyes of the Lord. we humans, that is. If it turns out that you've been sent here to haunt us, I'm not sure I have the power, or indeed the authority, to do very much for you. I'm a man, said the man. I'm not a devil. Hm, thank God for that. Although if you were a devil, that's exactly what he would have said, said the priest. You may begin at the beginning. I I'd prefer to start at the end. Begin where you like! exclaimed the priest, adding after a moment, "'I'm sorry about that outburst. "'It's the fire, the late hour, and there's something about you. "'You're a very self-confident character. "'I feel as if I already know you quite well. "'I am the owner of the craft at birthed today at your harbour, "'the one they call the Consolidator,' said the visitor.' We were attacked by pirates of hispaniola i was bound for louisiana in a vessel that was sold to me many years ago by an acquaintance at the time i needed a trading vessel and this fellow had no idea what to do with his that man's name you will know i'm sure of that because as we struggled with the roof and your relics i found one of his books in your collection It's called, I Haven't Got All Night. Tell me about the pirates. They boarded my ship, stole my cargo of wool, and were within an inch of murdering me and my crew. I was only able to placate them by offering them the one thing no pirate can resist. We get a lot of pirates here, after our grain, our hides, our produce... What did they want from you? Treasure. Treasure. You see, I had with me a chest of treasure, big enough to store a man in. Gold and silver in pieces of eight, doubloons and guineas, worth more than any one other than myself could imagine. I was the richest man in the world. The man paused for effect. The priest listened in silence <laughs> how much in English money around 30,000 pounds a million reals Dios mio and you've lost it all I thought it best not to put any subclauses in my treasure my wool and my men sailed off in the direction of the sunset at least two months ago. Why didn't they kill you and take the money? I didn't get to be the richest man in the world by being a dope who can't negotiate, said the visitor. Pirates are unpleasant and dangerous, but they're predictable. Seven men and women piloted the Consolidator's final voyage from the Spanish Main down to this outpost of its empire. I wanted to get as far away from pirates and Britishers as I could, without leaving every vestige of civilization behind. As far as I know, to the south and west of this place, there are nothing but monsters, savages and mountains. We do, we do have all of those things in our interior, said the priest. The visitor went on to explain exactly what had happened before the voyage, and how, in London, a short time ago, he and his cook, a Frenchman, named Denier, had fabricated his own death by setting fire to one of the most fashionable addresses in town, his own home, leaving a stolen cadaver to roast in the flames, and act as a corpus falsus. A corpus "'Balsas,' murmured the priest. "'I've never heard that expression before.' "'My problem was not the loss of a fortune at sea. "'It has to do with what brought me into that predicament in the first place. Four months ago I had property in Paris and London. "'I bankrolled half the princes in Europe. "'I served the Spanish Empire through the house of Bourbon.' i married to the daughter of General Daniel Marney, the Lion of Cremona.' "'The Lion of Cremona? "'You are indeed a well-connected man with many truly remarkable experiences.' "'My wife is—was his daughter,' said the man. "'I left her and my own daughter, Henrietta.' Unlike that good man Odysseus, I didn't embark on a journey to save my partner from her suitors and rejoin my family. I found her a fresh husband, set her up together and set sail for new lands, and to facilitate their new relationship, I took my own life. Yes, 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 but but, but you didn't actually kill yourself, said the priest. Did you? What a course i didn't said the visitor i made my wife and daughter think that i had isn't that awful (sighs) (sighs) i don't see that we have a problem said the priest murder is a mortal sin as is suicide your actions are inexplicable but in the fullness of time i feel you will be able to furnish me with more facts and they will exonerate you At the moment, your chief concern is to unburden yourself of sin, and confession is the place for this. I can assure you that you can rest easy. You are a good man, or as good as many men that I have met, and you have more than proved yourself as a valuable member of our flock through your work today. Now, can I go home? Tomorrow is almost upon us and it will be full of architecture. The priest and the visitor stepped out of the confessional box. Before leaving, the visitor asked if the priest would mind if he fetched the book he was interested in from the stacks that they made in a dry corner under the original roof. The priest explained that much of the collection had already been earmarked as texts that were banned by the committees of the church and state, they had arrived in Buenos Aires in the cargoes of foreign ships from the old world. If the book has been censored, said the priest as he hurried towards the side door, then there's no need to bring it back. We would have burned it anyway. You can keep it as a memento of your efforts today. By the Department of Services. The music was from Duremain, Puede Mater.